0: Greetings, brothers and sisters at Redeemer Church of Dubai. I bring you greetings from Huntington Beach, California, 16-hour flight away. And it is so good to be here with all of you. I have been so blessed by uh, Dr. Zeller and his family and their hospitality. I'm so encouraged by the faculty and students of Gulf Theological Seminary. And I am honored that Pastor Dave and the elders... Would allow me to preach the word to all of you today. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, will you open it to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38? Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And to prepare for this sermon, I did what I guess most tourists in Dubai do. I went to the Burj Khalifa last night, right, Uh, a tourist thing, I think, and uh, I didn't go there because I wanted to see the world's tallest building, and I also didn't go there because I wanted to see the world's biggest mall, but the reason I went there is I wanted to see the world's most diverse crowd of people, at least as far as places I've been on planet Earth. Right here in Dubai, there are more people from all over planet Earth than I have ever seen before. And so there was that moment last night when the, when the music starts and the fountain starts shooting that water up into the sky and everybody gets out their cell phone and they're recording the fountain show and they're all looking at the water. I was looking at the crowd. And I want to teach you here today what Jesus saw when he saw a crowd because Jesus looked at people in a certain kind of way that we all need To see them, we need to see them as souls. So I'm going to ask everybody, even the kids, if everybody could follow along as I read our text for today, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Let's give this our full and undivided attention. This is the Word of God. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom harvest so what we're going to do here today is a little bit different because usually when we gather together and we open up the word the goal is to see Jesus And we want to preach the gospel of Jesus here today, that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Son of the living God, and He died on the cross to redeem us from our sins, and He rose from the dead to offer us a new and eternal life. We want to see Jesus' name lifted high here in Dubai today. But what we want to learn how to do today specifically is look through the eyes of Jesus Not just to see Jesus, but to see how Jesus saw things. This is very important because the amazing grace is those who are blind are able to see in Jesus. I don't know if you guys say amen here at Redeemer Church of Dubai, but has anybody here experienced amazing grace who was blind but now you can see? Anybody here today? Well, praise the Lord for that. Amen to that. But here's the thing. The concern that I have today is maybe some of us who are able now to see, we have become nearsighted in the way that we look at the world. I, I grew up and I was nearsighted. I've had a very hard time seeing with my eyes my entire life. Maybe some of you know what I mean. I inherited from my parents this trend towards very thick glasses. That's what I inherited from them. Stabbing my eyes with contact lenses every day. And so, when Compass Bible Church sent me out to plant a church in Huntington Beach, they gave me a very generous gift. They gave me LASIK eye surgery, if you've heard about it. And apparently, they're going to put a laser on your eyeball and then everything works great, is what they told me, right? And so, I walked into the room where we were going to have this procedure done. And uh, remember, I can't see very well. Uh, Everything's a blur to me as I'm walking into this room. And I can kind of tell there's the doctor, there's a couple of nurses. And they say to me, would you like a teddy bear, sir? And I'm just like, what about this? Says I need a teddy bear. I'm a grown man with a beard. Why would I have a teddy bear, right? And I thought it must be some joke because I can't see, and so I'm like, no thank you, no thank you. And just a few minutes later when I was laying down and my left eye could see the smoke coming off of my right eye as they put a laser on it, my hands were reaching and I was thinking, where's that teddy bear, right? But, but the great thing was, I woke up the next day, and I had 20-20 vision. I could see. I was nearsighted, but now I see. And here's my concern, is that when we get our eyes open to see the glory of Jesus, like the reason Jesus opened our eyes is not so that we would be blind to the blind. It's not just about us being saved by Jesus. There is a whole world of people all around us who are still lost in the darkness, and we need to see them for who they are, and that's what Jesus is going to teach us here today. He's going to teach us how to look at all of the people, the people that you pass by every single day, the people that drive on those motorcycles to do deliveries at your house, the people that are in your way on the freeway getting here the people that live in all those houses that you have to drive by to get to your house those people are people who need to be saved by Jesus Christ and we can't be nearsighted so we only see Jesus and the church we need to be able to see the world around us And so if you look here at verse 35, you'll see this verse is a summary of of the ministry Jesus has been doing in in the last couple of chapters of Matthew. It, It describes us that Jesus, he went through all these different cities and villages and he's teaching in their synagogues. And he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Wow, what a ministry Jesus has. You can see why it would develop such a crowd when he's healing everyone and he's preaching with such authority the good news of the kingdom of heaven being at hand. Now the reason Matthew gives us this summary statement as he's setting up chapter 10. So what's happening here at the end of Matthew 9 is we're getting ready for the second discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is about to call his 12 disciples by name and then to send them out. And we've already had one discourse in the Gospel of Matthew, perhaps the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. Go with me in your Bible back to Matthew chapter 4. Turn back to Matthew chapter 4, and I want to show you he did another summary statement like this already. As he set up the first discourse, he said in Matthew 4, 23, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Almost sounds like the same verse. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. Wouldn't that be awesome to see? And great crowds, as you can imagine, followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus is going around preaching, and people are compelled by what he's saying. He's going around healing, and great crowds are now accompanying him. And so when he sees the crowd in Matthew 5.1, he gives them the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what's already happened in Matthew. Now go back to Matthew 9, and you'll see that this time he's ready to send out his disciples into the crowd. He's saying, hey, we're not just going to huddle up here. We're going to go out, and we're going to go into the different cities and towns. You guys are going to go, he says in Matthew 10, and you're going to go preach the gospel. And so here, if you look at Matthew 9, verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, notice how Jesus looks at them. He had compassion for them. There's these crowds, they want more miracles, they want to hear the teaching. And Jesus looks out on on hundreds and thousands of people and he has this feeling for these people. He cares for these people. The, The Greek word here, it's like he felt it in his bowels. That's what I keep reading about this Greek word. In the innermost part of his body, he had a feeling that went out for the crowd. He really cared about them. He had compassion for them. This is Jesus' response. Uh, A lot of times these days, if we're being honest, we don't have compassion on crowds. We're bothered by crowds. What are all these people doing in my way? That's not how Jesus thought. Jesus thought, look at all these people who have such a great need. And he felt their spiritual condition. He felt their lostness. And he had this feeling of compassion. Go over to Matthew 14. And I want you to see that Jesus, he regularly experienced compassion when when interacting for the crowds. This isn't just one passage that says this. Look at Matthew 14, verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And look, it's like Jesus sees a crowd and here's what he thinks right away. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Go over to Matthew 15, verse 32, where again we have this big crowd who's been with Him for days listening to His teachings. And Jesus called His disciples to Him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with Me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Like, hey, and that's why He does the, mirac- the miraculous feeding of thousands of people because He cares about people. And we have a question that we need to answer here today. Do we care about the lost people who are all around us Every single day when I, when I was sent to Huntington Beach We don't have a, a super tall building Or the world's biggest mall We're not as cool as you are here in Dubai well, All we have is something God made It's only the biggest ocean in the world It's called the Pacific Ocean That's what we've got And we've got this little pier That goes out into the massive Pacific Ocean And so when I was a tourist in Huntington Beach When I was new I would go out and walk on the pier And they had a surf competition and a crowd of people gathered there on the shore and they were watching these surfers catch their waves and from the pier I could see the crowd of people on the beach and I had to ask myself do I really care about these people do I really have compassion for them can I feel their need in my body That's how Jesus saw the crowds, and that was really what opened my eyes to realize I have been oblivious, I have been nearsighted, I have been walking by so many people, and I haven't even seen them and felt compassion for them. I'm asking you a real question, and there's an answer that you need to have in your heart. What do you think when you see the crowd? If you're going to see what Jesus saw, you're going to see people, and you're going to have compassion on them. You're going to be like, wow, who's going to reach all these people? Because they all need a shepherd like Jesus. Go back to Matthew 9, 36, and, and let's get to why Jesus felt this way, this compassion. that he had for them and he says because they were harassed and helpless harassed and helpless when you look up the greek words here these words they sound like something bad happened to these people harassed here uh, you could translate troubled and helpless you could translate thrown down People who have a lot of trouble, and it's like they've been tossed aside. It's like they've been thrown down. These are not people that are doing okay. These are not people that, you know, they're all right. They just need to get a little bit of improvement in their life. These are people who are like beaten up on the side of the road, and if somebody doesn't go and help them, they're in a really bad condition. That's the idea behind harassed and helpless. Maybe a good picture to understand what harassed and helpless means is the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 where a man gets beaten up by robbers and he gets left on the side of the road kind of troubled and thrown down on the side of the road and he's left there for dead. And you know what's really sad about the story of the Good Samaritan we call it where a guy's lying on the side of the road? There's some people who walk by and they do nothing about it. And guess what kind of people those people are? They're the religious people. The religious people often looking at the world broken down, beaten up on the side of the road. And we look down on them and that's the problem. We look down on them. We judge them on the side of the road. We think they should pick themselves up. They should do what is right. They should come to church and get right with the rest of us. That's not how Jesus is thinking here. He's not thinking they should get their act together. He's thinking they are so troubled and thrown down. Who's going to help these people? Somebody needs to go and reach out to them. And that's why he tells the story of who's the one who's really a neighbor? Who's the one who shows them love? Well, it's the Samaritan who stops and makes that man's needs his own needs. It's the one who shows love. Mercy. Are you the one who shows mercy when you see the world thrown down and troubled? Do you look down on them in judgment or does your heart go out to them with compassion? See, Jesus understood the spiritual condition of people's souls that they are not going to try harder and do better and get themselves going the right way. They are lost and they need to be found. They are blind and they need to see. And unless somebody goes to them, they're not picking themselves up. How many Samaritans do we have here? How many people do we have that love our neighbors to the point that their need, we feel it in our own bowels? Because we understand they are harassed and helpless, like someone has to help them because they can't help themselves. Then Jesus says here in Mark 9, 36, they're like sheep Without a shepherd, which we've already been reading some verses about how awesome it is. Anybody thankful that Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep? Imagine living your life without a leader like that. Imagine living your your life without someone who can give you direction and provide for you and protect you and care for you. That's the world all around us. You're like, oh, look at the sheep following that false religion. Oh, look at the sheep believing all those lies. That's the whole point. They're sheep and they need a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees them. He's not like, oh, look, they're following the deception. Shame on them. He's like, oh, look, they're following the deception. Who's going to go and shepherd them? That's what he sees them like. These people need someone to lead them, someone who will care about them. They're just going to go astray unless someone comes like a, like a sheep without a shepherd. They're going to be lost. I need you in your, in your Bible to turn with me to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. We've already looked at some great passages in our service about the Lord being a shepherd, but Ezekiel 34 particularly it applies to Matthew 9 because it's about God as a shepherd caring about the sheep who have been scattered. Not just the sheep that are already maybe still there, but what about the lost sheep? What about the ones who are out there that have been scattered and you can see in Ezekiel 34, if you're, if you're there with me, the Lord is not okay with the shepherds of Israel. The people leading Israel at this time, they didn't really care about the people they were leading. They were shepherds who were in it for themselves. And so they get rebuked here. They get called out. And then in verse 5, it says, this is Ezekiel 34, verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them i got to think when Jesus says, like sheep without a shepherd, this might be a passage that he had in mind. Look at all the people who are lost, and it's not only sad that they're lost. You want know, to know what's really sad? Nobody's even going after them. That's what's sad. See, here's the reality. If every Christian only talks to people that we already know and we don't reach out to strangers, we don't reach out to our community around us, if we don't reach out, then then what are we saying about all those people who are lost out there? Like, Are we saying we don't care about them? See, they need a shepherd. And, and God says, if people aren't going to do it, I'm going to do it. God says in Ezekiel 34, verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Go down to verse 15 look at what God's saying he's going to do I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy I will feed them in justice What do we think here? Does God care about the lost sheep? What do we think, everybody? Oh, He's going to go find the ones who are scattered. He wants to save them. He wants to seek them out. In fact, go back with me one chapter in Ezekiel 33 to verse 11. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Here's God pleading with people to turn from their sin, to come to Him in faith, and he says something so amazing here in Ezekiel thirty-three, eleven. Say to them, say to the people, people need to know, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Do you really believe that God wants to save souls? Do you really believe that God doesn't want anyone to perish? That's why He's being so patient and long-suffering and showing such compassion because it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Can you see the world as Jesus sees? Do you ever feel sad that the world is so wrong? Do you ever have a bad day because you feel the weight of the lost people all around you? Are you ever bothered by how many people don't know Jesus and are going to die in their sin? Many Christians that I've met these days are not nearly bothered enough. How bothered are you by what is happening all around us? We need to feel, if if you're taking notes, if you want to jot some points down, you need to feel God's pain for those who are perishing. Feel God's pain for those who are perishing. Realize that when Jesus saw a crowd, He felt it all the way down inside. He felt the heaviness, the burden. All of these people's sins, they need to turn from them. They need to trust in the Lord. Everybody here needs to get saved. Imagine looking at everyone in Dubai, everyone in your neighborhood, like every one of them needs to get saved. Not like we already have enough people going to church. Not like we're already doing fine. But look how many people out there are like sheep without a shepherd. If you start seeing people as souls like that, if you really start to see people and you wonder, is that person saved or not? Do I have a chance to tell them about Jesus or not? When you start seeing crowds of people like that, then you'll start being like Jesus because that's how Jesus saw the crowd. In, in America, we have this place called Chick-fil-A. Anybody ever heard of Chick-fil-A? Okay, yeah. Uh, the Chick-fil-A is, uh, is part of God's common grace to America. And so uh, I like to go to Chick-fil-A, and I like this sauce they have for the chicken there. And one day, it wasn't a Sunday because they're closed on Sunday, so I went to Chick-fil-A, and I got, uh, I got my order in, and the guy who took my order... He did not give me my Chick-fil-A sauce. Have you ever experienced such injustice in your life? He did not even say to me my pleasure, which is what they say to everything, right? And I was like, I, I actually, I'm ashamed to admit this here in front of you all, I got hot about not getting that sauce. I was not okay with this. And I was looking at this man who was standing in front of me like he was my personal condiment dispenser and he wasn't working and where's my sauce? And I literally walked up to the counter like I was going to tell this guy something about Chick-fil-A sauce and all of a sudden it was like I saw him for who he really was. He wasn't a person serving me, giving me sauce. He was a soul, someone made in the image of God. He was an eternal body being and I shut my mouth and I thought God is this guy even saved And I looked over here and I saw three girls giggling. And I thought, do they know Jesus? And I saw this couple looking into each other's eyes in love. And I thought, I wonder if they know the gospel. And here was an old man sitting all by himself, eating chicken by himself. And I'm like, does anybody care about this man to preach the gospel? And all of a sudden, Chick fil A was full of souls who needed to be saved by Jesus. Is that how you see the world? that there are eternal beings all around us. You don't you don't see their skin, you don't see their gender, you don't see their nationality. You see them that they are made in the image of God and God is spirit. And those who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth, which means we are not just bodies. We are spiritual beings. We are souls that will live forever. And everyone you know, when they die they're going to live somewhere. Do they know Jesus? And does it bother you if they don't know Jesus? Do you feel it? Do you feel compassion? I didn't complain. I ate my chicken without sauce that day, and I prayed for that man's soul, see? I realized who he really was, and and I think we all need to realize how often are we just looking at people based on their external appearance, and we're not looking at people as souls. That's how Jesus saw the crowd You know, they call Huntington Beach, where I'm from, Surf City USA because we're famous for surfing at our beach, but we've started calling it now Soul City USA because we want to see everybody who lives in our city as somebody who needs to be saved by Jesus. I hope that's how you see people. Go with me back to Matthew chapter 9, and now look what it says in verses 37 and 38. Because Jesus not only is an example of how to look at people, how to see the souls how to think about that person who's delivering whatever you ordered, how to think about that car that's driving too slow in front of you, how to think about the neighbors who live in the houses all around you. They're all souls, but not only do we want to see that, Jesus now says, here's something we should do about it. And he says in verse 37, teaching his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, I I just want to make sure we all understand that Jesus didn't say the crowd was the problem. Jesus said we are the problem. Does everybody catch that right there? Because it's easy to blame the world for how bad the world is today. But he's saying, hey, of course there's many souls who need to be harvested. That's not the problem. That's not the problem that they're out there in the dark. The problem is we don't have enough people going to do the work of caring for them and reaching them. He says the problem is actually with us, not with them, that we're supposed to be going and sharing good news of life in Jesus with them. He says, the problem is not with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is we don't have enough laborers. We don't have enough gospel workers. We don't have enough disciple makers. That is the problem, Jesus says. That's a different way to think about it. I hear a lot of people blaming the world for all of the problems. I don't hear a lot of people in the church taking responsibility that we need to get out there and be laborers in the harvest field. When when Jesus met with that woman at the well, when he went out of his way to talk to that woman who was lost and he told her everything true about herself and he gave her living water. Remember the lady, she ran back to her town. She told everybody, come and meet him. I found him. You gotta come see Jesus. She like brought her whole town to come have a meeting with Jesus. And what does Jesus say to the disciples in John 4, 35? He says, hey, you think it's four months to the harvest? Hey, look at this crowd coming from the town I tell you lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest he says look around how much how much there is we got so much harvest work to do and so few labors that's why I'm so honored to be here today at Redeemer Church of Dubai I've been going to church my whole life I mean, this is what I do. Uh, All I care about is the church of Jesus Christ. And this is a church that I am proud to know and hear about because this is actually one of the churches I know of on planet Earth that is sending out laborers into the harvest field. In fact, I think it's actually uh, really exciting to me at least that we're here today because this is the place that Redeemer Church of Dubai was sent out Twelve years ago when they sent out Pastor Dave, you guys are a church plant. I know about that. I was sent out to Huntington Beach, but you guys have done something that I haven't been able yet to do. You guys are a church plant who has planted churches. And, and, and everybody here, we should encourage Pastor Dave, all the elders here, that this church is doing something that is rare these days. They're more about Jesus building His church than Jesus building this church. That's awesome. This church is actually doing what Jesus said to do. In the history of this church, the number of laborers has been multiplied and more churches have been sent out. I was here once five years ago worshiping with all of you and I got to witness you send out a church in the name of Jesus. I know Marwan and what he's doing in Lebanon. I know Benoit and what he's doing right now. In India, I know there's churches filling up the UAE, and some of them have been sent out from this church. And we should take a moment right now to praise the Lord that you're a part of a church that's sending out laborers into the harvest field. We should give God glory for that here today and thank Him for what He has done. Yes, glory to the Lord. This church is in an answer to what Jesus is saying here. Even Gulf Theological Seminary that we're highlighting here today, I mean that's a place where people can be trained up so they can be equipped to preach the world word so they can be sent out into the world. I'm praying people are going to be sent to India, the Philippines, Africa, all over the Arabian Peninsula. We got a whole church in Huntington Beach praying that you guys will continue the good work that God has begun among you. You guys are an encouragement to me, and I hope the encouragement can be mutual here today because you guys are sending out laborers. Praise the Lord. Keep doing it. Don't grow weary in doing good because we will reap a great harvest if we do not give up. Can I get an amen from anybody on that here today? Now, let's make this clear, though. You don't have to be a pastor, an elder, or somebody seminary trained to be one of the workers in the harvest field. This is not just for people who work at church. That, no, this, this term here, laborer, in fact, look at verse 38. Here's the prayer that Jesus is going to teach us to pray. Therefore, pray earnestly, pray with a passion to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. We're supposed to be praying for more laborers. These laborers, this was a common term usually used for like someone who's going to go work in a field. That's how, that's how it's used throughout the Gospels. And even the Apostle Paul, he picks up on this term about, about the workers, and he calls people his fellow workers. That's a common phrase that Paul uses. He uses that about a lot of people. And it's not just the Timothys and the Tituses. He uses it about all kinds of people. You ever heard of Iodia and Syntyche? Who's ever heard of Yodia and Syntyche? Nobody names their little girls Yodia and Syntyche, right? Because those ladies, they were in a disagreement in the church. Maybe those ladies had kind of gotten nearsighted in their faith where they started dividing about things in the church and they missed the whole point that we're supposed to be united in the church so we can go and see all the souls that need to be saved. But Paul referred to even Euodia and Syntyche as his fellow workers in Philippians 4, 2 and 3, along with Clement and many who are written, their names are written in the book of life. So he said, he, Paul, he would talk about this all the time, hey, we're just all fellow workers and God's the one who's Lord of the field, God's the one who's Lord of the harvest, but, but he was referring to people, they weren't the elders, they weren't the deacons, they weren't the seminary graduates, they were just the people who make up the church and Paul called them fellow workers. So now I'm asking you, are you a worker in the harvest field?" Are you, are you someone who regularly prays for people to get saved and goes out and tells people the good news of Jesus? When was the last time you shared your testimony with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus? When was the last time you laid out that Jesus is the Christ who died for our sins and rose again with someone who is not saved by Jesus Christ? When, are you a laborer? Because we're supposed to pray for more laborers. And anybody who is a disciple and is mature in their faith to make disciples, you could all be laborers. But but what we're supposed to do, point number two, if you are taking notes, ask God for more disciple makers, okay? Okay. So if you really understand this text of Scripture, you're going to leave here today doing two things. One thing you're going to do is you're going to look at people differently. You're going to see people as souls. Second thing you're going to do when you see all that crowd of people, you're going to say, oh, Father in heaven, we need more laborers. Will you send out more workers who could share the gospel with all of these people? There are not enough workers right now for this crowd. And when you're praying that, which Jesus teaches us to pray earnestly... I don't know how much you're praying these days, but you're supposed to be, at least Jesus taught his disciples here, to pray with passion and fervor. Like you keep praying until you see your prayer get answered. We need more disciple makers. I want to encourage you to pray that at least every day this week. Hopefully it could become a a habit to keep praying it on and on. Anytime you hear about a tourist going to the Burj Khalifa, that can remind you we need more laborers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what happens. And at least this is what happened to me. You start praying for yeah, God, you should send more people out. You should send more churches out. Send more pastors out. Yeah, send out more people at my church and then so, all of a sudden you start realizing, oh, you should yeah, I should probably ask God to send me out too, right? I can't just pray for everybody else to go. I should probably be praying, here I am. Send me. Like I if that's what we're here to do, is do the work in the harvest field. If that's what this is all about, is you being Lord of the harvest, well then, I want to be about the kingdom business. I want to be about making disciples. Does everybody here understand that we have all been sent to make disciples of all nations? And do you understand that all nations are coming to you right here in Dubai? What an opportunity you have to make disciples and the ripple effects of the gospel could spread to so much of the world right here from where you live. What a field you guys have been given to work in the name of Jesus. Let's pray for more laborers and let's pray that we'll be one of those laborers. Now go back to Matthew chapter 9 with me and I want to show you how an example, a specific example of what we've been talking about in the general terms Matthew 9 27 Jesus he passed on from there and two blind men followed him so we've been talking about people who are blind to the gospel they can't see Jesus well the people here are literally physically blind and they cry out have mercy on us son of David and when he entered the house the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you guys believe that I could open your eyes and you could see? And, and they say, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Don't you love that? Jesus is always like, hey, I just did a miracle for you. Don't tell anybody about it. And then they go and tell everyone about it, right? How come today when Jesus told us to go tell everyone about it, we're quiet about it? Like, how did that, how did that happen? Uh, I don't understand that. But these guys... They made Jesus famous because they were once blind and now they could see and they felt like that was news that everybody could use. you got to hear about this Jesus guy. Ah, I, I couldn't see and he opened up my eyes. And, and they went and they made him famous. They filled his name. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but go to Matthew 20. Everybody, turn to Matthew 20. I want to end with this passage right here because in Matthew 20... Uh, we, there's another story of two blind men Crying out by the side of the road for Jesus This is not another gospel we're going to This is the second story of two blind men In the book of Matthew Let's think about this for a second Do you think if two blind guys Who used to be formerly known as blind guys Now running around telling everybody we see And it's because of Jesus Do you think that news might have spread Among the blind community of the day? Do you think all the blind people are knowing there's a guy, Jesus, going around giving people sight? And so now, look what happens. He's, he's going up to Jerusalem. This is uh, Matthew 20, verse 29. And they're coming out of Jericho here, and a great crowd followed him. And we know how Jesus felt about the crowds. He had compassion on them. He saw them as souls. And behold, in this great crowd, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out. See if this sounds familiar. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Is that exactly what the other two blind guys said? Do you think they're like, hey, if you ever see him, say this, right? Like, Oh, okay. All right. Hey, this is our chance. He's here. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them. The crowd is like, look at all these people. Jesus isn't going to care about you two guys in the middle of this whole crowd. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping. Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in, what does it say there, everybody? And Jesus in what? Pity. You could, it's the same word, compassion. And Jesus, he felt it for these two blind men. He felt it down in his bowels, their condition in the dark. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. I love Jesus' kindness to people suffering from blindness because I feel like that's the way we need to be to the blind people all around us, particularly people who are spiritually blind to the gospel. I hope that if you ever meet someone who cannot see, I hope you would be kind to them. How rude. I, I don't know how many blind people you've known. I met this lady named Erlinda. She came to our church. She was a little old blind lady and nobody cared about Erlinda except this one man at our church named Yui Pham. This guy, he runs a Vietnamese group at our church and this guy, he is a worker for Jesus Christ. He's, he's not paid by the church, but he goes out and he tells people about Jesus. In fact, he goes to see people when they're on hospice so he could tell them the good news of Jesus before they die. And Erlinda's own family didn't even care about her, but this man, he went and he showed her the kindness of preaching to her the good news of Jesus Christ. He would go to her bed. She was left there for dead. No one thought Erlinda was ever getting up again. And he went to her bed and he began to read to her the Gospel of John. He began to teach to her the good news of Jesus, week after week, one-on-one, just this one man, this one worker, caring about this old, blind lady just being kind to her. Who knows? I mean, in the world these days, a little bit of kindness is going longer than it ever has. A little bit of kindness means more than it ever has before. And he showed this woman kindness, and you know what? God opened her eyes, not physically, but she became a believer. believer in Jesus Christ. And when I met Erlindo, when she got so physically better that she was able to walk into our church, this woman who had been left for dead, now not only walking around, but living by faith in Jesus, I met this lady. She told me her testimony. She took me through the gospel of John. This lady was seeing things more clearly than most people I've met in my life. I remember the day Erlinda was going to get baptized and I was so happy that she was going to take that step of obedience and let the world know that she believed in Jesus. You know what happened to Erlinda the day that she was going to get baptized at our church? Someone who lives at her house when she was having her breakfast, they, did, they, they took away her syrup for her pancakes or waffles or whatever it was, and they put in the dish soap in the place of the syrup. This was someone who lived at her house, and so she put dish soap on her breakfast, and she ate it, and she was so bothered by it that she wouldn't even get baptized that day because she felt so uncared for by the people that she lived with. See, if you ever meet a blind person and you're going to meet many of them when you leave here today, I hope you will be kind to the blind. I hope you will see them as souls. And I'm here to tell you that Erlinda did get baptized at our church. She did hold the confession of faith till the end. And she, she is no longer with us here on earth, but she is in the presence of the Lord forevermore because Erlinda has a good shepherd who laid down his life for her and sought her out to be one of His sheep. And you know how He did it? Through one worker out there in the field. It is amazing what God can do with just one worker in the field. Let's pray for many more of them. Let's pray together here today. Father, I thank You so much for Redeemer Church of Dubai. I thank You that You sent this church out from this place 12 years ago. And we have seen Jesus build his church here. And we lift high the name of Jesus here together. And Father, I thank you for all the churches that they have sent out. That they are doing what this passage says. And I I pray for the leaders here. Father, please don't let them grow weary in what they're doing. Let them see that what they're doing is making an eternal difference The kingdom is being advanced in Dubai and even people on the other side of the world in Huntington Beach know about what you're doing here. And so Father, we pray that the best days of this church will be ahead of them because you're going to send out even more laborers into the harvest field. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters as they leave here today that they will be bothered for all the souls around them that do not know Jesus That they will see people for who they really are. Sheep who need a shepherd. People tossed aside. Troubled. And Father, we pray that you will use this church. That you will use Gulf Theological Seminary. Father, I pray that even some people here today will be convicted that they need to be laborers working. And so, Father, I pray that they will get equipped, whether it's at the Foundations class or through some class here at Redeemer Church. Father, I pray that people will be bold with the gospel of Jesus, that they will go and share the good news and call people to repentance and faith, and that there will be a great harvest of souls here in Dubai. Father, thank you for caring for us When we were lost, thank You for opening our eyes so we're not blind, but we can see Your glory in the Gospel of Jesus. And Father, we pray that since You opened our eyes, we will not be nearsighted, but we will see the souls. And we will see those who need to be saved. And we will care for them with the same compassion that You had for us. Let Your kingdom come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.